Hello, and welcome to New City Church's podcast. We're a small, non-denominational church in Nashville, Tennessee, practicing the way of Jesus together. For more information on who we are, what we do, how you can get involved, and resources for your faith, check out newcitynash.com. We hope and pray this message blesses you. Today we're going to be in Exodus 3, 1-17. One day Moses was tending to the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest in Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see it. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses. Here I am, Moses replied. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. I am the Lord of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. When Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey, the land where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites now live. Look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me, and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abuse them. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. But Moses protested to God, Who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? God answered, I will be with you. And this is your sign that I am the one who has sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this very mountain. But Moses protested, If I go to the people of Israel and tell them, The God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me, What is his name? Then what should I tell them? And God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my eternal name, my name to remember for all generations. Now go and call together all the elders of Israel. Tell them Yahweh, The God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has appeared to me. He told me, I have been watching closely and I see how the Egyptians are treating you. I have promised to rescue you from your oppression in Egypt. I will lead you to a land flowing with milk and honey, the land where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites now live. to come and worship you, to give you the praise that you are worthy of. 
God, we just ask that in this time, you would speak to our hearts, that you would illuminate your truth, and that it would change us. God, we pray that you would be with Trey as he brings the word that your spirit would be in this place. God, we love you and we thank you. Amen. 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 Have you all ever been in one of those situations where you're having a discussion with someone, potentially a heated discussion, maybe debate or argument, uh, where you realize somewhere in there you're talking about one word, but you mean very different things by the word? Some people refer to this as the need to define the terms of the debate. So, for example, I remember when I was in first grade, I was mainly homeschooled, but I went to school for a little bit in first grade, and there was another kid named Trey. Interesting, just side note, this is kind of funny. My real name's Kenneth. I'm the third. My name means three or the third. And the other kid whose name was Trey, his real name also was Kenneth, was kind of crazy. So we were in, we were in big trouble. Uh, so whenever this other Trey would get in trouble, the teacher would say, Trey, go stand on the fence. I would think it was my turn to go stand on the fence, and I would go stand on the fence. It's important to define the terms of the debate or what you mean when you say something, right? So if I say for something like, for example, the word baby, right? If I'm saying baby, you probably know I have a baby, like I'm referring to a human baby. But other people might mean a significant other that they're referring to. Other people might mean their dog or their cat or their pig or their chicken. Who knows? Maybe some people are into beanie babies. I don't know what you're into. We might mean different things. And in some ways, the English word God is like that. It's a word that when I say it or you say it, we bring a whole level of things to that word. Because a lot of people say the word God. People who are Christian, people who are Jewish, Hindu, Muslim, don't know necessarily what you think, but some form of higher power. We might get a category of being down, but what we mean when we say God might have a lot of different things. I might see God as one of love, and you may have a picture of God that is a distant, abstract father figure, right? We've got a Republican God, a Democrat God, God who doesn't care about politics, God who only cares about politics, God who is pacifist, God who is violent. We've got all sorts of different gods, theoretically, that we bring to mind when we think of God. And I think that some people have rejected or accepted God, not based on his terms, but based on other terms entirely. Not based on who he is or who he says he is, but based on these ideas that we have about God. And it's interesting, in this story, we see God revealing his name to Moses. Yahweh is the name. And there's some wordplay going on in here. In, I say wordplay, some important words in Hebrew that, are, that help illuminate this. So the word used, kind of the generic God, is Elohim, is the word. It's more of a title or a category of being than necessarily a name, uh, though at times it does refer specifically to the God of Israel, the one true creator God. Uh, but for a better treatment on that, you can check out Bible Project videos, or if you want a real deep dive, a Hebrew scholar named Dr. Michael Heiser has a great book named Unseen Realm that is very helpful uh, if you want to get into the, all the technical stuff. But uh, kind of think of it in terms of like, you were to talk to me, and you were to call me like pastor versus Trey. Pastor is a title, Trey is the, the name, right? Uh, but even in this room, Today we have, my dad's here from the third, he's the second. We've got two Kenneths, right? How is it that we, associate, what do we associate with the name? 
Uh, in English, oftentimes when we think of names, if you've ever had to name something, a human or a dog or a car or a house, whatever it is that you're into naming, what are the things that you think through? Maybe you think through meaning, right? Uh, for us, when we were naming Caleb, we thought of, I mean, honestly, we thought of names that we like. <laughs> what are names that sound cool that we can imagine ourselves saying? But also, I wanted to think of biblical names or names with significance, and Caleb in the Bible is someone who's bold and faithful. And so that's what we pray over Caleb. But think about it. If you've ever had to name something, what do you often think of? You think of other people that you know that have that same name. We might think usually names are just something that sounds cool, but if you think of, oh, well, I'm going to pick on you, Daniel, because you're sitting right in front of me. But if you think of, like, oh, Daniel, he's the worst. I'm not naming anything Daniel, you know, unless it's something that I absolutely hate. Just kidding. I would be glad to name something Daniel because Daniel's amazing. But we have associations with this. Uh, in a book named God Has a Name by John Mark Comer, he quoted from another source called The Unfolding Mystery of the Divine Name, and said that in the world of the Hebrew scriptures, a personal name was often thought to indicate something essential about the bearer's identity, origin, birth circumstances, or the divine purpose that the bearer was intended to fulfill. In other words, names are like revelatory of the person. Your name in kind of Hebrew culture means something about you. It's not just your name that you could be renamed. My parents joke because I'm a klutz that they should have named me Trip, which is another one that they use for three instead of Trey because that would make more sense and reveal something about who I am to people. In a similar way, if you're trying to name somebody or something something and you think of Daniel, right, you are thinking of certain characteristics about Daniel as you're naming that. In the Hebrew scriptures, names mean something, not just they sound cool or don't sound cool. They have significance to them. And here's what I want to get at with this. We have to let God define himself on his own terms, not try to define him how we'd like to define him. Because what I find is God tends to like the things that I like. He tends to dislike the things that I dislike, vote the way that I would vote or not vote, think the way that I think, usually thinks I'm right. That's how God works, you know? Y'all know how it is, right? But how is it that we have very committed followers of Jesus who think greatly different things about God. Think, for example, just the simple phrase, God loves everybody. We've got to talk about who do you mean God? What are you talking about? Talking about the God of the Bible, you're talking about just the God that you grew up believing in and thinking. Uh, loves, what does that mean? That's a big question. Is it tolerance? Is it leading to flourishing? Is it acceptance? What, what does love mean? And then everybody, what does that mean? Does that mean people that look and think like me? Does that mean literally everybody? What, what does it mean, Right? We have to let God define himself. And so the name he gives here is Yahweh. So hopefully y'all are interested in some, some uh, little bit of Hebrew because this helps you understand your Bible. So you know, uh, in your Bible, you'll see even in this story where it says Lord with a capital L-O-R-D, that is Yahweh. Yahweh is a four-letter word in Hebrew. I initially thought about calling this sermon a four-letter word just to be funny, but... Some people instructed me not to, so here I am saying it anyways. <laughs> well, yeah, thank you, thank you. Uh, Y-H-W-H is kind of the transliteration of the name Yahweh. So interestingly, in ancient Hebrew, there were no vowels. There were only consonants. People went back later to add vowels. So if you ever try to read Hebrew, it's pretty complicated because the vowels are like little dots and lines underneath and above. It's kind of difficult to read. So why is it that our Bibles usually say Lord? It's fascinating. So at some point within the Jewish tradition, it kind of fell out of practice or favor for people to say the name Yahweh out loud. 
usually, from what I understand, out of a fear of misusing the name Yahweh. And so they began to substitute it with other words, like Hashem, which means the name, or Adonai, which means Lord, so you're seeing kind of where we get this, or another one that you might see in a footnote of your Bible, Jehovah. Uh, this is interesting. So Jehovah actually is, if you take the consonants from Yahweh and the vowels from Adonai and you put them together, it turns into Jehovah. So that's how we get that name. It's a way of not misusing the name, but still saying the name Yahweh. It's a hybrid word, Lord. And this name of God revealing himself is interesting, right? Who are you? What is your name? I am. I am who I am. And the word he, God uses there, or Yahweh uses, is ehye. I am, it's first person. And then when he says Yahweh, that's he is. It's just third person singular, right? Because if I was to ask you, tell me, who is this God that you follow? I am. Wait, no. He is Yahweh, not ehye. Make sense? So what is this saying about God? One, I think it's saying we're invited into a really great mystery that needs to be discovered over a very long period of time, over lots of cups of coffee and long walks in nature, that he is mysterious. Who is he? He is the one whom all of reality is contingent upon, who doesn't need anything or anyone else to be who he is. It means also I am, but it also means I will be, that he is who he is and will continue to be who he is. He is faithful. He is constant. That reality is contingent all the way down to him. We have to let God define him on his own terms. So what do we learn in this story about God? First thing, Yahweh is relational. He's relational. He doesn't have to reveal himself to Moses or to before Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, any of them, but he chose to. He did that on purpose. He's relational. He wants relationship with us as humans. And it's like the difference in some ways between calling someone like coworker versus calling them by their actual name. He invites us to just have this distant, abstract God figure in the clouds, but actually to have intimate relationship with him. Now, you'll note from the name that he gives, the, having intimate relationship with him does not mean we will understand everything about him. Because think about it. If he is God... Well, it makes sense that he would do things and think things that are different than what I think, and he would be bigger than what I can fully comprehend. Otherwise, that would be quite a tiny God. Yahweh is relational. The second thing we see is that Yahweh sees the hurting and the oppressed. We see this with a couple of verbs, and it says that God sees, he hears, or heard, and knows. That when he sees his people in trouble, he sees it, he hears it, and he knows it. He sees their afflictions, their cries, their sufferings. And so for anybody in the world, at any given time, God sees the pain. He's not just sitting off in the clouds unaware. He sees it. When you cry out and pray to him, whether you think he hears or not, the story tells us he hears and he knows. And not only does he see and hear and know, but we also see next that he rescues. We see in verse 8. That it says, so I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt. What does this tell us? God doesn't just see and hear and know, but he actually acts decisively on behalf of his people. And what's interesting here is if you know the story, the Israelites had been in slavery for quite some period of time. Uh, I imagine that they had been crying out to the God of their ancestors for, before this story happened. And they're still going to have to wait a minute before it happens. 
Just because we don't necessarily see God rescuing yet does not mean that he is not already working on it. That he sees, hears, and knows, and actively rescues. That he is the God of the oppressed and the hurting and the broken. Then lastly here, we see that Yahweh calls humans to take part in his plan. That God isn't just a lone wolf, which thinking about it, if I was God, that seems quite risky to entrust a large part of his plan to humans, but that's how God works. Since the beginning with the story of Adam and Eve, that's what he does. We see this odd joining of God and human history, that God uses Moses. So how does Moses respond in this story? Well, first he says, here I am, but what happens after that? He gives a bunch of objections, uh, some of which that we read, but As I was reading through these objections, I found that they were my objections, too, when God calls me to something. And they're probably your objections, too. We notice five, uh, at least between verse 3, 11, and then we're going to jump around to chapter 4, verse 13. The first one is, who am I? He says that in verse 11. Basically, who am I that you would ask me to do this? For me, I read that as maybe that's insecurity. Who am I that you would call me one who sets these people free. Maybe you've asked that before when God calls you to do something. Who am I to do that? I don't have the experience. I'm too old. I'm too young. I've messed up too much. I haven't messed up enough. I don't know what your thing is. <laughs> Some form of insecurity. Who am I to do this thing that you've called me to do? What is God's response? God's response is, I will be with you. I will be with you. He tells them this will be your sign that they'll worship again on this mountain. God's response to his insecurity is his presence, not this newfound skill. Now, I'm sure Moses developed some newfound skills along the way. But if you're sitting here and you're like, I'm really insecure about the way that I look or my jawline or whatever the thing is, and you're praying and asking God to do it, sometimes his response is not fixing your jawline. His response is his presence, that he will be with you. The second objection is what I would think is a who are you question. What is your name? What should I tell them? And this is uh, just funny to me, and I may be reading into this, but uh, before, his ancestors did know, it seems, the name Yahweh. They referred to God as Yahweh at times. But he almost used the trick when you, like, have forgotten somebody's name, you know, and you're going to introduce them to somebody new, and you know that person's name, so you walk up, you know, to Daniel and say, hey, this is Carly, and then you just leave him up to, like, tell me their name. He's like, okay, if they ask me what your name is, what should I tell them? (laughs) Clearly Moses also doesn't know. (laughs) Otherwise, he wouldn't be asking. At least that's what it seems. It's just funny to me. It seems to me that the question might be a reference to a lack of knowledge. What should I tell them? Maybe you feel that when God calls you to do something, to share the gospel, to pray with someone. What should I tell them? I don't know enough about the Bible. What if they ask me this question? What do I tell them? How do I respond? What is God's response that he gives him his name? Kind of a simultaneous, like, you know me and you can have a relationship with me, but at the same time, I'm incredibly mysterious and you will never fully understand who I am because I am who I am and I will be who I will be. You can know him and trust him, but you may not understand everything about him. The third objection is, what if they won't believe me or listen to me? For me, I read this as maybe being afraid of people's responses or what they think. What if they don't believe me? 
what will they think about me if I share the gospel with someone? What will they think about me if I like try to serve in this capacity when they knew me in high school? What will they think about me? God gives him instruction to use these basically miraculous signs and doing these incredible things. And what I want to get at with that is that the power or the calling comes not just from your own gifting, but comes from God, not what people think about you. That if you are faithful, God will use you to accomplish what he wants to do. That it's not dependent upon how good of a speaker you are, how young or how old you are. If God calls you to do it now, he meant for you to do it now. And he's not surprised by what he's getting into. I have to remind myself of that often. The fourth objection is one that may also be familiar to you. We see it in chapter 4, verse 10. I'm not very good with words. That's verbatim from here. Maybe you felt that before. When God invited you to do something, maybe share the gospel or just to share an encouraging word with someone. I'm not very good with words. Moses actually says that he gets tongue-tied. That's a lack of talking skill. But God's response is beautiful. Verse 11, he says, Who makes a person's mouth? Who decides whether people speak or do not speak? Hear or do not hear? See or do not see? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will be with you as you speak, and I will instruct you. Uh, this, this message is so powerful because it reminds us that God gives the words, decides the hearing and the speaking, and God can use our babbling even in a profound way to help someone understand the gospel, understand something about him. If you've been given an encouraging word for someone, you know, it, it, one of the weird things about preaching sometimes, just to be honest, is like sometimes you'll prepare something that you think is like really eloquent and cool and great and everybody's going to respond well. Sometimes, nothing. Maybe it was just for me. I don't know. Other times, you're like, man, that was awful, and I'm pretty sure I was just babbling. And the Lord uses it. The Lord is the one who causes the hearing and the responses, not you, not me. Not to mean that you don't hone your craft or whatever the thing is. Of course you do. But God is the one who will do that. And he also promises this again, I will be with you. I'm not very good with words. I will be with you. Once again, sometimes God's response to our insecurities and our objections is not necessarily fixing the problem, but it's his presence, that he will be with us. And if you're insecure about it and you're trusting the Lord in it, I mean, what a better posture to actually see that it's God doing it and not you all. His last objection seems to be kind of a last-ditch effort in verse four, or chapter 4, verse 13. He says, Lord, please send anyone else. Send anyone else. You know, was this just him like, all right, okay, I've given my objections, you've responded, well, just pick anybody else. Was this maybe, maybe for you and me, it's not just that. Maybe it's more of like, just someone else would be better. Maybe it's the comparison game. Right? I'm competitive, but that's not a game that I want to win. Is that what it is? Maybe you felt that. Okay, well, God, like you could pick this person or this person or this person or this person or this person. Send anyone else but me. Maybe it's out of fear. Maybe you don't want to do it. Maybe it's insecurity and you don't want to do it. I don't know what the reason is. And what does he do? God sends Aaron, also sends Moses. He doesn't let him off the hook. And then he tells them that I will be with both of you. And I will instruct you both in what to do. God's repeated response to Moses' objections is his presence, not necessarily newfound skills and abilities. So here's what I want to get at with that. 
First, Yahweh is not surprised by who he calls. He's not surprised. I can come up with a bunch of reasons why God shouldn't pick me to do a whole range of things that he has called me to do at times in my life, and I'm sure you can too, for me and for you. (laughs) Yahweh is not surprised by who he calls. If he calls you when you're young, he knows that he called you when you were young. He's not surprised by your age. If he called you while you were single or are single, he's not surprised. If he calls you while you have kids, he knows. He's not surprised. If he calls you while you don't have kids, he knows. He's not surprised while you're old because of what you've went through, because of what you've done. He knows and he is not surprised by who he calls. This is difficult. I'll just be, I mean, honest. I remember when we were discerning where the Lord was leading us and feeling called to church plant, we knew that the Lord was calling us to do that. And I remember sitting down with a former pastor and kind of mentor figure of mine and saying, he said, well, why don't you go and plant a church, you know? Um, and I don't know that I'd even told him that we were thinking that. Maybe I told him like maybe way down the road. And I looked at him and said, well, I think I was like 24, 25 at the time. I was like, well, I'm really young. And he said, uh, what did Paul say to Timothy about that? He said, don't let anyone look down upon you because you're young, but set an example in all of these sorts of ways. And I was like, man, like, you totally, Jesus juked me, and I think it worked. To be transparent with you, like I'm, I'll turn 29 this year. I'm young. That's something I struggle with. But I remind myself constantly that Yahweh is not surprised by who he calls. He called me at 28 right now to be here, not 35-year-old me. And same for you, if he called you at 50, 60, 35, whatever the age is, he called you to do it at that age, unless he told you to wait. He called you to do it then and not at younger you, older you, better you, worse you, more fit you, whatever the thing is. He called you, and he is not surprised by any of your objections. Furthermore, none of your objections outweigh God's calling. None of your objections outweigh God's calling. Who do you to think? Who are you to think that like, your lack of ability to speak or do something or not do something is any more powerful than what the God who spoke all of everything into existence? You think if he did that, he can't use your babbles? Yeah, he can use your babbles. <laughs> Probably he just used that. It wasn't even a real word, I don't think. Maybe it was. It wasn't a noun. It was a verb. My bad. <laughs> None of our objections outweigh God's calling. Then this. Obedience and faithfulness, when it comes to following Jesus, are greater than giftedness. When it comes to following Jesus, I believe obedience and faithfulness are greater than giftedness. And note that I did say when following Jesus, not just what necessarily you think Jesus wants you to do, but actually following him and where he leads, it's more important that you are faithful and obedient and he will use you. You look at the people Jesus picked as his disciples, it was not the top tier bunch that you would think for the ones who are gonna spread this message of Christianity. But that's what Jesus picks, and throughout the course of human history, like God chooses these people who are hurting, broken, oppressed, and then who will also go on and forget him, turn away from him repeatedly. God's not surprised by who he calls. When it comes to following Jesus, obedience and faithfulness are more important than giftedness. If he calls you to something, he will be faithful to use you if you're faithful to follow him. So here's my questions for us as we wrap up. God has chosen to reveal himself to us in a personal way. He's chosen to. I know we can come up with a bunch of different objections why he shouldn't have, why he shouldn't have done that, why he shouldn't have picked me, why, because I've struggled with this, 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 or this, but he did. 
matter of fact, he did. He's chosen to reveal himself in a personal way. How will you respond? Will you respond like Moses initially, here I am? Give your objections and let God speak back to you? Will you not even respond? Will you say like Moses, here I am? What are your excuses? What's holding you back from following after God with all that you are? And what he invites us into is not this like place where you know everything and you figured out why it is that you struggled with everything and why everything in your life happened the way that it happened. He just invites us to trust him and follow him for him. It's mysterious, it's beautiful, it's exciting, it's terrifying, it's, I mean, I bet it was amazing to see a burning bush, but also like, how in the world does this thing catch on fire? Like, that's kind of crazy. So here's what I want to do as we wrap up. I want to give you some time uh, as, I, as I pray over us to think about what is it that is calling you to do? What is the next step that he has for you in your life? Maybe someone in your life came to mind, someone to, you need to reach out to and encourage a relationship that needs reparation. Maybe it's a career change. Maybe it's a next step in your walk with Jesus, like giving your life over to Jesus or baptism or something along those lines. I don't know what it is for you, but I sense perhaps you feel something stirring within you. What's holding you back from trusting Jesus? Because none of your objections outweigh or are more powerful than God's calling. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray these things as I'm asking you to think about this. I'm going to pray this in Jesus' name. And when we do that, it means first that we pray in line with his character, who he is, but also that whatever, whenever we pray, we have the same access to God that Jesus does. We're praying in his name. That's powerful. So I'm going to pray in Jesus' name for us as the band comes back up. And I want to invite you just to take some time and reflect on whatever that next step is for you. And then after the service, we'll be over there at the aptly called Next Steps table if you want to talk about what that looks like for you or if you have objections that you need to deal with with God, as I often do. God, thank you so much that you are here with us, that you've chosen to reveal yourself in a beautiful and profound way. Lord, thank you that you are bigger than we can ever fully fathom. Thank you for questions that propel us into deeper understanding. Lord, thank you for examples in scripture of people who wrestled, of people who had objections. God, I pray for everyone in this room tonight or today, um, in Jesus' name, Lord, that you would be with them, that your presence would be palpable in this place, in their homes, in their lives this week, and Lord, um, whatever it is that they're sensing in their lives is something that you're inviting them to do, Lord, I pray that you would give us all the boldness and courage and faithfulness to trust you and to be obedient where you lead, to trust your voice more than our fears, to trust your voice, more than our insecurities, to trust your voice, more than our doubts. Lord, help us to be faithful and obedient. Lord, for anyone um, in the room who may just be in a season of wrestling with you, Lord, I pray, um, Lord, that just even in this time together as we uh, sing a few more songs and wrap up our worship service, Lord, that your presence once again would be palpable. Lord, I pray that in Jesus' name you would meet them in a really profound and beautiful way. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit that we pray. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to New City Church's podcast. We hope today's message blessed you. For more information on who we are, what we do, how you can get involved in some resources for your faith, check out newcitynash.com. But until then, may God bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance towards you and give you peace. Amen. Thank you.